good morning, church. Good to be with you. My name's Ethan, one of the ministers here. Glad you're here today. Good to have Heritage here. That's your fun. And uh, glad they're singing with us. They'll be here all day if you want to come back to church again. You know, you always can. Uh, listen, um, we're in this series, uh, Dumpster Diving. And you know, uh, those of you who've been around a little bit, this is more than just a sermon series for us. It's, whole, it's a big thing, right? And it is not too late for you to jump in. Um, books are still available today. There's a daily devos in those books. I hope you'll check those out and engage with that. It's not too late to jump into groups. In fact, some groups, uh, they're not even starting until this week. So you could still start a new group. And we got groups on Wednesday nights and we got a group, so lots of opportunities. So make sure you are all in for dumpster diving. The, the full work that God wants to do in our lives as we look at some of these hard areas of our lives, uh, the full work uh, requires our full engagement. So let's make sure uh, we're doing that. Uh, before we jump into today's message, uh, I do sort of want to pause a little bit. Uh, I expect, like me, uh, many of you have found yourself uh, with heavy hearts uh, for the last uh, 10 or 11 days or so as we have watched what's unfolding in Israel and Gaza. Uh, I was grateful for how many people engaged on Wednesday with our day of prayer for peace, and a lot of you came to those prayer meetings. It was good uh, for me to pray with people. Uh, I knew people were praying, but somehow it's different when we pray together. Um, and we're going to pray a little bit today as well. Um, you know, as you know, every day the, the details of the, the news shifts and we're on to a new kind of terrible phase in this conflict. Uh, if you're watching the images, um, it can be easy to forget just how horrible war is. And then you see these images and um, it almost seems beyond reality. Uh, and so we're just going to begin by just praying, uh, let our fear and our compassion uh, drive us to God. And so if you would join with me, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in your mercy, bring justice and peace and comfort to the people of Israel and Gaza and the whole region. Protect the hundreds of thousands of people that are fleeing from their homes to escape the violence. And by your power, please find a way to bring this violence to an end. We pray for peace and prosperity and security to the people of Israel and Gaza. We pray for lazy afternoons where there is no fear of attack from a neighbor. God, we look at this struggle now gone on for generations, generations of fear and violence and hatred that seem to always be present, always fresh for a new age. And we pray, God, that you would break this cycle 
May we, God, live to see peace in this land. We pray that the influence of terrorists would end. We pray pray that those nations that benefit from conflict would have their influence removed. We pray that governments of peace would be established in these nations and every nation of the world. We pray recognizing we don't even know what to pray. The situation is complex and our information limited and so we don't even know exactly the words to say except that you know God. And so we just trust the Spirit to pray through us as we ought. Lord Jesus Christ, hear our prayer. Bring peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I I sort of find myself wishing that there was no connection uh, between the prayer we just prayed and the topic of our sermon. I sort of wish they were disconnected, and now I could do some sort of funny segue to get us on to the topic of our sermon. But, but unfortunately, they're actually quite connected. Because what we're doing in this series is we're going to the trash piles of our lives, the part of our lives that we don't want to pretend exist, and we're going there with God to see what we find. And today we find there suffering. And pain. A a part of all of our stories, part that we would long so much to sort of hide in the back so we could only show kind of the happy and successful parts of our lives. Like almost everything we're going to talk about in this series, it's part of our story we sort of wish wasn't there, you know. But it is. Part of what it means to be human, if you live long enough, is to eventually suffer, to eventually grieve, to eventually be rejected. Sometimes we struggle to to name and acknowledge our own suffering. Perhaps it is because to name and acknowledge our suffering is to relive it, to re-engage with the grief and the pain in a way we don't want to do. Uh, maybe maybe our, our decision to ignore our suffering and grief and pain, maybe it's well-intentioned, right? Um, maybe some people do this, they're like, you know, I can't acknowledge my pain because I know somebody else has it worse, you know? That happened to me once. I was... Um, in conversation with a friend, um, and, uh, and I had called him because uh, he, he was sitting in a hospital room with his three-year-old child who had cancer up at a hospital outside of Philadelphia. And this guy was a pastor friend of mine, and so I was calling, trying to comfort him. And, and after we talked a little bit about his day, you know, he wanted to change the subject, and he said, well, so tell me, how's your day going? And before I could censor my speech, I just said, oh my goodness, I'm having a terrible day. 
And then I felt so guilty. Because while I was having a bad day, what my bad day meant was that I'd had a significant but not insurmountable setback in a professional project that I was working on. And so it would take an extra week's worth of work, but we would get it done in the end. It was a bad day, but my friend was in a cancer ward. And so as soon as I said, I've had a terrible day, I said, no, 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 I haven't, I haven't, not like you, not like you. And he stopped me. And this pastor friend of mine said something that has just helped me the whole rest of my life. He said, Ethan, stop it. Everybody's worst pain is their worst pain. And everybody's worst pain hurts. And everybody's worst pain matters. It matters to me and it matters to God. He says, I want to hear about your bad day. Tell me about your bad day so that I can pray for you for your bad day. We're not trying to compete for who had the worst day. And and maybe you're doing that. You won't even let yourself acknowledge that you're having a bad day because you know somebody else who had a worse day and somehow you're not allowed to mention your bad day. I think my pastor friend was right. Everybody's bad day is their bad day. Everybody's pain. Everybody's worst pain is their worst pain. And we actually care about it. Everybody suffers. John Lennox, Christian mathematician and philosopher, just super helpful thinker about God and the world. He says when you, when you look at the world and when you look at life, you just have to acknowledge that Life is this confusing, mixed bag of goodness and beauty and light and hope and rest, all mixed up with evil and pain and chaos and loss. And they're mixed up so completely, you, you couldn't even really experience one without another. The, 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 our world, they've just been so mixed up. He goes on to say that he thinks the only way you can understand that mixed bag of the world is when you see the creator of the universe die on a cross to save the world. Like, that's it. That's the only thing that can make any sense of a a world. That mixed up, where all the pain and all the joy are also mixed up together. So we're going to talk a little bit about suffering today. We're going to go with God into, into the, the, the pile of trash that is our pain, our suffering, our injury, our woundedness. And, um, and we're just going to discover three simple things. And I'm going to give to you up front, old school sermon. I got three points. And we're just going to give them to you. And then I'm going to show them to you in the Bible. And then I'll remind you what they were. Just super simple. Just three things I want you to observe. Um, because some of you brought with you suffering today. Some of you are suffering today. Your worst pain is today's pain. Or some of you have a memory of grief that you have sort of hidden out of the way and are trying not to engage with, hoping nobody notices it's there because you don't know what to do with that grief. And so I'm just going to give you three simple things I want you to know about suffering and pain. I want you to know that God is present in our suffering. 
that our suffering invites the presence of God, not the absence. I want you to know that God comforts us when we suffer. And then this is the miracle of how God works good out of evil. When we have been comforted by God, we are then empowered to comfort others. Just those three simple things. We have to start with that first one because when there is suffering, one of the questions people ask, you'll hear people ask the last question, where is God when I suffer? Where is God in the suffering of the world? Maybe you'll, you'll, you'll pull up the news and, and you'll, you'll, you'll see what happened just 10 days ago in Israel or what, what's happening today in Gaza or, or the rockets that fly and, and, and you'll say, where is God in that? And I want you to know, the Bible actually gives us a very clear answer to that question. Where is God in this terrible situation? The Bible says God is there. That's where God is. Where is God when people suffer? There. There where the people suffer. That's where God is. God is with the parent who has lost a child. God is in the room with a, a young couple who has had a miscarriage. God is in the hospital room and the doctor's office when the unwanted diagnosis comes. God is in the kibbutz when terrorists attack. And God is on the road south of, John, of Gaza City as families flee to safety. God is, that's where God is. And our human political opinions, they don't stop the love of God. God doesn't wait to check with us to see who the good guys are and the bad guys are before, before God goes to be present in the suffering of people. God is in the kitchen when a couple fights and threatens with divorce. God, God's sitting right there in the kitchen. God is in the room with you. When you sit alone and wish you weren't. God is with the hungry and the homeless and the broken. We get confused when we think that suffering and pain is evidence for the absence of God. No, suffering and pain is evidence for the evil of the world. And it is very, very good, strong evidence for the evil of the world. But the witness of Scripture and the witness of God's people is that suffering and pain is where God is. Psalm 34, the psalmist writes, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. How, how could this be the way you begin a song? I will praise the Lord at all times. If you're afflicted, celebrate, he says. That's his instructions. When you're under affliction, when suffering come upon you, when pain descends, celebrate. Glorify the Lord. Join with me as we give praise to God. How could you come to such a conclusion? Well, it's because just a few verses later, he tells us, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. 
and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close. I saw a little clip from a preacher a few weeks ago, uh, the, you know, the Instagram algorithm brought it to me. You know, I got swiping up, and once it got past all my friends, it just sends me a random clip. And it was this little soundbite for a preacher. I guess that's because most people I follow on Instagram are preachers, so it just sends me extra preachers, I suppose. Uh, some people get cat videos. I get preacher videos. Uh, but but I, I saw this soundbite from this preacher, and it reminded me of, of an observation a professor had once made in a class I was in, and, and I'll borrow from both those sources, both Instagram soundbites and my notes from this professor, to, to make this observation with you. And you may not know all these stories, but some of you will. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not spared from the fiery furnace. They were spared in the fiery furnace. And Daniel was not spared from a lion's den. He was spared in the lion's den. Paul was not spared from weakness and affliction. He was spared in his weakness and affliction. Hagar was not protected from the wilderness. She was protected in the wilderness. Jeremiah was not spared from ridicule and rejection. He was not spared from having to witness his own people defeated and dragged into exile. He was spared through it. The Israelites were not spared from exile. They were spared, protected, upheld, and strengthened in the exile. God did not reveal himself to Stephen by stopping the stones. He revealed himself to Stephen's while the stones flew. And perhaps most importantly, the centurion said to Jesus, we will believe if you come down from the cross. That's what the centurion said. The soldier said to Jesus, if you will just stop the suffering, end the pain, come down from the cross, avoid the grief, we'll believe. That's what the soldier said. But us, we believe because he didn't come down. He stayed on the cross, bore the pain, proving once and for all that suffering is not evidence for the abandonment of God, but the place where God dwells in suffering so that through the cross, suffering and evil itself might be defeated. And we who do suffer know that God is with us and that God has the power to heal and save. And there, there is a rescue and a redemption beyond the power of the suffering and evil of this world. And this observation that God is present with us when we suffer, God is near to those who are in pain and grief, 
This, this is not just the testimony of ancient followers of God. It's not just even the promise of God's word. This, this is present testimony. Uh, several years ago, I was with a group of uh, friends, and we were praying together and talking about the goodness of the Lord together. And, and someone, and, and they actually thought they were suggesting something fun and whimsical. They had this fun, whimsical idea. They said, we should go around and talk about times when we have especially felt close to God. We were, just, we were praying together and we were celebrating the goodness of God. And they said, you know what, let's just go around. Have everybody tell a story of when they knew God was with them. When in a remarkable way, they experienced the presence of God to heal and save. Or, or, or when the Spirit gave them an awareness of the strength of God. They thought this would sort of be a fun little story time. And so we did it. We did just what they said. For more than an hour, we just went around the circle and people just told stories. Oh, I remember this one time. I just knew God was with me. Except it was not fun, whimsical story time. I would say more than two-thirds of the stories we told were stories of suffering and grief, and pain. Somebody said the first time I knew the presence of God was with me was when I lost my uncle. He'd been like a father to me and just mattered so much in my life. And, and I just, the Spirit of God, just I don't even know what it was. It was like the Spirit of God took over me and it was like God said to me, I'll be with you. You will not be alone. Somebody talked about how they knew the presence of God was with them when they sat alone in a surgical waiting room while their wife was in surgery. Someone said, I, I knew the presence of God was with me when my fiancé left me unexpectedly out of the blue and all my plans for the future were just destroyed in a phone call. And he said, and then all of a sudden, it was just like God just swept into my life and, and said, I have, I have better plans for you. And I, could just, I just knew the Spirit of God. Story after story like this. And, and don't, don't be fooled. None of us thought those situations were good situations. We, none of us said, oh, isn't that a good thing that happened? No, they were, these were evil things because we live in an evil world. The situations were not good. Suffering is not good. But God is good. That was the thing. And, and, and suddenly we could distinguish between the goodness of God in these situations and the evilness of the situations. And this is why we must do this dumpster diving work. If we ignore our experience of pain, if we pretend to the world like we do not suffer, do not grieve, do not struggle, are not wounded, everything's fine, we are actually missing the presence of God in our life for God is with us in our suffering. That's the first truth. The second thing you need to know is that when you recognize the presence of God in your suffering, you will experience the presence of God as comfort. This is how God responds to us when we are suffering. God comforts those who suffer. God is gentle with those who are wounded. God heals 
those who are broken. Jeremiah was a prophet who suffered. In fact, he wrote a whole book called Lamentations. That's how bad his life was. Lamentations chapter 3, he writes this, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them. My soul is downcast within me, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He says, I remember my suffering, but that is not my only memory. It is not the only thing I remember. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. I will wait on him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. What Jeremiah knew was that where there is suffering, God is present. And where God is present, there is comfort. Jesus knew it. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, The prophet Joel knew it. He knew where there is suffering, God is present. And where God is present, there is comfort. Uh, Joel chapter 2, in the middle of a multi-year famine, Multi-year famine, Joel chapter 2. Joel writes to the people and invites them to worship. Here's what he says. Be glad and rejoice. Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given you the autumn rains because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains. The threshing floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine. He says this, verse 25. I love this. This is Joel 2, verse 25. I love this verse. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts, the young locusts. Joel says this is how God responds to our suffering and pain. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Some of you may remember this sort of became my theme verse during COVID season, right? Like many of you, I had kids going through milestone events, you know, homecoming gets canceled, prom gets canceled, this gets canceled, that gets canceled. It felt like the years we had counted on and built toward, vacations we'd saved for, kind of all got ripped away from us, right? Eaten away by a plague just as much as it had been locusts. And sometime in the middle of that, I remembered the thing we just said, God is with us when we suffer. And I said, I'm just going to lean into the presence of God. I'm going to lean into the presence of God through all this. And one of the first things that felt like God gave me was I was reading in Joel and just came to that sentence again. That's what our God promises. Some of you look back at a legacy of suffering and about a season of suffering, and you would say, yeah, years were stolen from me by that pain. And God says, I know. I know. Where there is suffering, God is present. Where God is present, there is comfort. And God says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. I love that promise. This theme 
is a never forgotten promise of God's word. That for those who suffer, God is present. And when God is present, comfort comes. In fact, God's word goes beyond that. God's word goes beyond that to promise that the comfort of God for those who suffer is always greater than the suffering. Paul writes, Romans chapter 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and brought into freedom and the glory of the children of God. Scripture not only promises that where we suffer, God is present, and when God is present, there is comfort. Scripture promises that the comfort God brings to the suffering is greater. The comfort is greater than the pain. The healing is greater than the brokenness. Third thing we're going to say about suffering and comfort is that when we encounter God in a season of suffering and receive the comfort of God into our lives, that experience of suffering and comfort become in our lives a source of spiritual power by which we can bless others. This is a radically counterintuitive truth. How could it be that, that our suffering could, by God's power, become a spiritual gift? Well, by itself, it could never be, of course. Suffering is evil. We're not trying to fall into that trap of saying, oh, no, this was a good thing. No, suffering and pain and brokenness and cancer and death and loss are evil caused by the fallenness and brokenness of an evil world in rebellion to the goodness of God. And yet, the goodness of God is so powerful that the goodness of God can work good in evil situations. This is the testimony of how God wants to work in your life. When you allow the suffering of your life to draw you closer to God, so that God might in that suffering comfort you, the comfort you receive from God becomes spiritual power by which you can bless and comfort others. Here's the way Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you're only going to remember one thing from this message, just remember this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's right at the beginning of the letter. Just remember this text. Here's what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in 
our comfort. Look at what Paul says about the resurrection power of God. The resurrection power of our God is so vast and so complete that when God comforts us in the struggles of our lives, we, there's enough leftover comfort. It's like there's bonus comfort. There's extra comfort that we are then empowered and able to share with others. Just look at me. We see the logic of this text. First of all, we see that compassion and comfort are the character of God. They are the very character of God. The father of compassion, the God of all comfort. We see that compassion and comfort are how God meets those who are afflicted. God comforts us in all our troubles, Paul says. And then we see that when God comforts us in our suffering, God does so so completely, so fully, so richly that we are then able to comfort others. My guess is you've actually seen this happen. Haven't you? You you have been comforted before. My guess is you have been comforted before by someone. And there was a richness and a depth to their comfort. And and maybe you asked, how is it that you're able to know just the right? I mean, how are you able to meet me right where I'm needed? And they say, oh, because I suffered in the same way you suffered. Uh, Or I suffered in a similar way. Or I, too, have, have been rejected. I, too, have been afraid in a hospital room. I, too, have have." known this evil of the world that you're experiencing right now. And in the midst of that evil, I looked for God, and God was there. And when I found God, I held on tight, and God comforted me. And I discovered that the comfort of God is greater than the suffering of this world. So great that so complete is the comfort of God that I, I just, I, I would never, you'd ask me this five years ago, I would say it never could happen. But so great and so complete is the comfort of God that now God allows me to comfort others in the, the same way God comforted me. So just a simple word to those of us who are suffering today. Or those of us who have suffered, and we sort of look back on that. Uh, first of all, I'm just so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I look around. I, I know some of you, and some of you, I even know how you're suffering today. We've talked about it. And I am so sorry. Your very life is evidence for the evil of the world. Your life is evidence for the fallenness of humanity. But some of you, I know something else. I know that your life is also evidence for the presence of God. Because you've told me how God has been with you in your suffering. 
And if you don't know that yet, if you're in a place of suffering and you're like, I don't see God, I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. You might not be looking. You might need to open your eyes a little water. God is close to the brokenhearted. God is with you. We're, we're talking about this dumpster diving process. We got some words. We say you've got to recognize. And, and for that, I just mean you've got to acknowledge that suffering and pain, everybody's worst pain is their worst pain. Everybody's got a worst pain. You've got to replace. Uh, you've got to turn from focusing all your attention on the evil of this world. And I just want you to replace that with the goodness of God. I just want you to say, okay, God, I see the evil. The evil is easy to see. Help me see your goodness. We've been saying you've got to reach out. Receive the comfort. Re- reach out to the comfort of God. That's what Paul says. He will comfort you in all your troubles. And as you do that, you will discover the power of the resurrection is sufficient for you that you who have been comforted by God will be so sufficiently and excessively comforted that you will be then empowered to comfort others. For you who are suffering, I'm so sorry. But that is the good news of God. God is with you. God will comfort you. And having been comforted by God, you will discover that you are then empowered by God to be a source of blessing and comfort for others. Let me pray for you right now. Gracious God, meet us in our suffering, our pain, our longing, our loss. We don't even like to talk about it, but it's real and it's there. And we need to be reminded that you are with us. You are in the room. And you bring with you comfort, the comfort we need so all-sufficient that having been comforted by you, we can then comfort others. Please, dear God, work this miracle in our lives. I want to get to the place, in every place where I currently suffer, in every place where I presently feel pain, I want to see the day when I then have been so richly comforted that I can comfort others. Accomplish this in my life, Lord Jesus. Accomplish this in our lives, Lord Jesus. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.